The second scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. Listen now for God's holy words. They went from there and passed through Galilee, and Jesus would not have anyone know it. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they were silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another who was the greatest. And Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And Jesus took a child and put the child in the midst of them. And taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me but the one who sent me. These are the words of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of the Holy Word. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious and holy God, we thank you for bringing us here this evening. We ask that you would continue to bless us with an understanding of your story and the stories that you would have us live together as your people. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, happy Ash Wednesday, everybody. <laughs> can, we be, can we be happy about it? I'm never sure what the appropriate greeting should be, uh, since some people clearly want to be sad at the beginning of Lent, which is fine. Uh, and I, I get it, talking about death and suffering and the cross, it's it's not exactly an uplifting topic, and fasting during the season can be a bit of a downer too, particularly if you're coming down after a celebratory Fat Tuesday. Uh, I feel sorry for all those folks in New Orleans for whom this is probably a, uh, a hangover day. And then we often picture Jesus as, as somewhat dejected this time of year also as he trudges resolutely toward the cross. In the paintings and Sometimes in stained glass windows, I notice that Jesus often looks sad. But this passage of scripture that I just read makes me wonder a little bit about that. It sometimes makes me wonder if we really get it. I follow the narrative lectionary, which has me preaching through the Gospel of Mark this year. So just last Sunday at Highlands Church, we reflected on the first time that Jesus talks about what happens to the Son of Man, his betrayal, his death his resurrection. Jesus teaches about the Passion three times in this particular gospel, and each time the disciples are described as not really getting it. First, earlier in this chapter, Peter rebukes Jesus, tells Jesus that he has the story wrong. But then Jesus calls Peter a devil, says, get behind me, you Satan, says it in front of everybody. So then when the topic comes up a second time in this passage, the other disciples are afraid to say anything, which means that we don't know exactly what it is that they don't understand. Do they think that the cross is just a metaphor? Or do they think Jesus is talking about someone else, some other son of man who is going to die? 
they don't get it. And so they just go back about their business of preaching and teaching and healing and casting out evil, all good things, good times. Only then Jesus catches the disciples arguing with each other over who is the greatest. They're trying to outdo one another and fight their way to the top, just like the rest of society. So Jesus calls a little group of disciples together and tries to explain how his kingdom works differently. Whoever wants to be the first must be the servant of all, he says to them. And of course, we know he says things like this elsewhere too. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Love one another, serve one another. It all makes sense, but still, they don't get it. So then, as an illustration, Jesus brings forward a little child, like in a children's moment at church. He takes her up in his arms like a shepherd holding a sheep, and Jesus says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. And the disciples are thinking, okay, okay, we've heard this before too. Welcome the stranger, the outcast. Give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked. It's about serving the least of God's children, the little ones. And maybe those first disciples still didn't get it, but at least we're pretty sure now we've got it down. Servant leadership and the ministry of hospitality, right? We have worship services where we proclaim that all are welcome. How many books have we read together on these topics? How many banners have been hung in sanctuaries with these words? And yet I suspect that a lot of sadness on Ash Wednesday comes from the recognition that we haven't always necessarily done these things particularly well. That's why it's also a time of repentance. We can probably all think of times when we've failed to welcome people in our churches for all sorts of reasons. And if we can't recall those times, it's probably because we're too busy claiming that our congregation or denomination is better than everybody else's. My church is more friendly and welcoming. No, my church is the inclusive one. Surely, if, if we were doing these things perfectly, then our churches would be filled with people. But in, instead, despite our best efforts, Ash Wednesday is also an opportunity to face the fact that our congregation seem to be declining. Some might even say that we're headed towards death like Jesus. Now there's another uplifting thought to kick off the season, amen? <laughs> and I'm not just talking about our little corner of the, the Christian family tree. When I stop to think about some of the failings of other churches around the world, and particularly in this country, it's not just sad. It's it's embarrassing, it's frustrating, it's maddening even. How the church of Christ is divided by race and class and sexuality and nationality and on and on. I know one reason people avoid church these days is that they, they see Christians in the media espousing a lot of hatred toward each other, towards others, and no one wants to be associated with it. Not to mention the clergy abuse scandal. God help us. Here is Jesus announcing that the key to the kingdom is welcoming little children, protecting the vulnerable, and yet the world has seen Christian servant leaders do the opposite, exploiting and abusing children. 
So no wonder so many people turn away. It's no secret that many of Jesus' disciples still don't get it. And all it, I will admit to you all in, in, the spirit of, in tonight's spirit of confession that there are moments when I, I wonder if the church, maybe it does deserve to die. At least in North America. I won't ask if you've ever had that thought. But I do wonder if that's going on with the decline of the church. If these, the crosses that we put on our foreheads on Ash Wednesday, if they're a reminder that God simply won't put up with injustice forever. Maybe the church as we know it has to die because it's become a stumbling block towards God's good and peaceable kingdom. In order for that kingdom to come in full, in full maybe, maybe we also have to die. Maybe that's the only way for us to get it through death. We have to experience it for ourselves. But then again, on the other hand, I suppose if I'm going to take the whole suffering and dying thing literally tonight, then I've, I should probably take the whole rising thing literally too, right? As well as Jesus teaching about the church being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city set on a hill, so many metaphors, and yet, however you want to look at it, I can see that Jesus is still trying to teach us something here, in spite of our trajectory. Not just about dying, but also about what real life looks like. So that maybe we would turn around, repent, have a change of heart, which is also a big part of this journey towards the cross. And it seems to me that there's a, a pretty clear suggestion for how to make that turn right, right here in this particular gospel text. It's so simple that we might overlook it, but it's still there, so I'll point it out. What I mean is, what if Jesus wants us to take the, the child-welcoming part, literally? As in, not just vulnerable people in general, but children specifically. Now, I know that children aren't treated as poorly today as they were in the time of Jesus. In some ways, today we live in a very youth-centered culture, particularly here in the suburbs. It can feel sometimes like our society goes in the opposite extreme in welcoming children with all the time and energy and money that goes into youth sports and children's birthday parties and helicopter parenting. And yet, what if there's more to what Jesus is trying to say here? What if there's something about welcoming children in particular into the, the center of our communities, putting them first? What if this has other implications for our discipleship, for our life together, our ability to enter into that kingdom? In this passage, Jesus tells us to welcome the little children and serve them. But elsewhere, he also tells us that we, we have to actually become like them as well. Can you imagine what that would actually look like? I have young children myself, so I'm, I'm not trying to be idealistic about kids when I say this, uh, as though they're more likely to be peaceful or kind or teach us something about that. My two sons are just as likely as these disciples to be arguing over who is the greatest. They can be rude and mean and 
I haven't forgotten about those diapers either. That was a mess. Children are sometimes downright disgusting, just like the church. And yet at the same time, I think most parents agree that on the whole, they're also delightful too. Overall, they're, they're worth the trouble. All joy and no fun, as the saying goes these days. Little kids in particular, I think they're cute, even while being disgusting. Isn't that a funny paradox? Kids say the darndest things, and children, probably more than adults, have a way of bringing smiles and laughter, even in the, the most depressing of situations. I've noticed that you don't see a lot of cynicism or somberness in healthy, small children, at least those who've been welcomed and protected appropriately. They're not generally a solemn bunch either, which is why we typically don't bring them to Ash Wednesday services, lest they spoil the serious mood. I substitute teach sometimes at my kids' elementary and middle schools, and I take note of which age group comes across the happiest. Is it the middle schoolers? No, it's the little children, right? The ones that Jesus told us we should welcome. I think he's being specific. Which again makes me wonder about all those depictions of Jesus that we see. Was he sad and somber when he took that little girl up into his arms? Or was he smiling with delight? And I wonder, is it possible to smile even if you are on the way to suffering and death the way that he was? Even in the midst of decline? What if children would, were present in those situations? Would it change anything? And I ask this literally. You can call me a literalist, I don't mind. I just can't help but wonder about church communities or worship services where children aren't at the center. If maybe we're missing something, something pretty basic that Jesus intended to bring us life. Now, I, I, I know I can imagine this might be a painful subject for some who've wanted children and not been able to have them. But isn't the church also meant to be a place that helps with that too? Sharing all the wiggles and giggles of little ones with others who lack them, who want them in their lives. Allowing for substitute grandparents and aunts and uncles and godparents so that they too can experience the joys of new life. Of course, I know some churches also claim that this is just too difficult. I've heard people say, I won't say who, they say, oh, we used to do VBS and after school programs, but none of those families ever came to our church, and, and uh, so we stopped doing it. And besides, all of our kids are grown anyway. Well, I wonder, is there anything that that congregation, not your congregations, that congregation can do to ensure that children stay at the center of the worshiping community. I wonder if sometimes our worship needs to change, if parts of it maybe even need to die in order to make room for that new life. I notice, for instance, that some congregations act as if the kids are there to serve the adults rather than vice versa. It's like the children are tolerated or accommodated rather than welcomed and celebrated the way that Jesus actually instructs us to do. But you know, fortunately, that doesn't have to be the end of the story for any church. Because even when we don't get it, Jesus just keeps coming back 
again and again to explain this whole cross business over and over. That's the good news. How God doesn't give up on us. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook, but He doesn't simply condemn us either. Jesus shows us the way back towards health, towards life. What He says to us here is that we have to be willing to put the little ones first, even if it means giving up our life. He says you have to let go of yourself, your needs, your wants, your desires. Welcome children instead. And resurrection is possible if we stop trying to one-up our neighbors and simply give ourselves away. And here's the best part, at least I think. Jesus says it takes only one. Just one. I know I'm being literal again. But I think it's significant that in this gospel, Jesus doesn't say, welcome all children everywhere or build the biggest youth program in the whole region. No, he just says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. One. One child. Not just, and, and we welcome not just Jesus, but the one who sent him. The God of all creation. The ground of being. The great I am. The one who raised Jesus from the dead as the firstborn among, among many So when we welcome that one little child, it means this God is with us. And I don't know about you, but that that makes me smile when I think about it. This idea that that God is actually kind of childlike. That God is present in the smiles and the silliness, as well as in the somber moments. It makes godliness so simple and easy All we've got to do is find a kid to serve. And there's plenty out there. We don't even have to make our own. We don't have to force a relative to bring one either. We can welcome somebody else's kid. Maintaining appropriate boundaries, uh, of course. Working together to ensure child safety at all times and all ways. But tonight I simply challenge you, this Lent, to make one child welcome in worship at all times. And see if that changes anything. Maybe it, won't work, maybe it won't change anything, but maybe it will. But at the very least, I bet we'll find ourselves smiling more often. And laughing a little bit more. Maybe playing more games. We might even start to feel a little younger ourselves as we play with Legos and draw on the walls. The pain and grief of older age slowly being allowed to die. Friends, these signs that we'll put on our foreheads are also the sign of a new creation. God recycling the old in order to make way for the new. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and yet that's only the beginning. For our Creator God is known to breathe life into dust. And by the grace of God to make us new again young and vibrant and filled with abundant life, the life of a child. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, who lived and died and rose again to show us the way into God's beloved community. May we enter into it with joy and thanksgiving, 
during this season of Lent. Amen?